Hello, Chris Evans here with probably the most packed edition of the Best of the Breakfast Show podcast with Sky from Virgin Radio we've ever had to present to you because so much has happened this week. I can't believe this was all this week. The one and only rock legend Dave Grohl sharing fascinating life stories from his new book, The Storyteller. That seems like a month ago, okay? Um, Not because it was dull or anything like that, just because so much has happened since. Academy Award winning actor Regina King talking about her brand new Netflix film, The Harder They Fall. That was also this week. The hilarious Ross Noble got us laughing ahead of the UK leg of his world tour, Shumanoid. Northern acting superstar Michelle Keegan was on to talk about Brassic Season 3, now available on Sky Max. And uh, Joe Gilgan, the co-creator and star of that, was with us too. Uh, so all of that and so much more still to come. we better get on with it. From walloping pillows in his bedroom to walloping drums in a stadium, our next guest has done it all. His book of larger-than-life tales, The Storyteller, is out tomorrow. So get ready for some rock and grohl with a man that's literally written the book on it. It's the one and only Dave Grohl! Good morning, Dave! Good morning. How are you? Good morning. Very well. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Not a bad day. All right. It's a great day. Any day above ground and all that. That's what I say. So the Instagram post that became a book, please expand. Well, last year when uh, the Foo Fighters, uh, we finished making a record, we booked a tour, we had made videos, we had made movies, we were ready to go. And then the world shut down and uh, I was terrified that I would have nothing to do. So I decided to start this Instagram page called Dave's True Stories. I started writing these short stories about these incredible experiences I've had, jamming with David Bowie or Prince or Paul McCartney, things like that. And then um, I realized that I was going to be here a while, so I wrote a book. The end. <laughs> well, just the beginning, to be honest. But somebody suggested, look, this is a book here. And then little did you realize there is a chasm between no matter how comprehensive and brilliant the posts are and actually writing a book. How much of a leap was that? Well, you know, I did it in the same format. I, I wrote the book in in, uh, in these little short story pieces. And, I, and as, as I was writing it, I wasn't really <clears throat> doing it in any sort of chronological order. And then once I had finished with like 25 or 30 of these stories, I had to sort of reshuffle the deck and put them put them in an order where there was, uh, you know, kind of an arc to the story. And um, it was great, man. I mean, you know, anybody that knows me knows that I love a good story. And so putting it to paper actually gave me a little more time to, you know, kind of think about it and reflect. It was great. It is fantastic because they jump off the page. So what we've done, Dave, is we've composed, we've constructed 10 sound bites from the book, okay? And we've numbered them 1 to 10 in a lucky dip of Dave Grohl gold. So you give me a number between 1 and 10. I'll give you a quote, and then you can speak to that quote. You ready? Okay. Okay, here we go. So any number between 1 and 10, off you go. Six. Six. The Meowing Studio Kitten, page 223. I was building a studio in my house in Virginia, and as we were doing construction, my mother came over to visit and we heard a kitten meowing somewhere. <laughs> I'd left the door open for the, for the construction guys. And so I thought that a kitten or a cat had come into my house uh, and had, had, uh, had its litter somewhere in my studio. So my mother and I were wandering around the room. We heard it everywhere. And as I was kneeling on the floor with my ear to a wall, my mother walked up next to me and I realized that the, the, the meowing was actually her sandal squeaking. <laughs> Now, you have an excellent ear for sounds. I'm trying to imagine how how meowy a squeaking sandal has to be before it, it can be confused for a cat. Well, you also have to realise I'm deaf as a post. Oh, okay. So that, I think that had something to do with it. That's fair enough. All right, now I do have a favourite story in this list of ten. Let's see if you pick it. So any number now between one and ten, but not six. Nine. 
Number nine isn't it, but it's a cracker. What's the longest flight you've ever been on, Dad? Uh, the, every year at my at my daughter's school, they would have a daddy daughter dance, and it wasn't required, but you had to go just to sort of prove to your kid that you you know that, you, that their dad would always be there if they ever needed him. And so this one year, uh, I checked my schedule and realized that the daddy daughter dance in Los Angeles was the same day that I had a show in Perth, Australia. So I actually, I made, I made the move the show back and I flew from Adelaide to Los Angeles, spent about, I don't know, six or seven hours, took my kid to the dance and then flew all the way back to Perth to play a show. But on the way back, I got food poisoning on the plane and was afraid that they were going to uh, like pull me aside for fear that I had Ebola and then throw me in a room full of people with Ebola. Then I would get Ebola and I would die at the airport in Australia. But I, I made it all the way to Perth, <laughs> walked off stage. I walked off the plane, had a Guinness, went straight to the stage, played a three hour show, fell asleep, woke up the next morning and flew back to Los Angeles. Wow. That is that is the most rock and roll, unrock and roll, rock and roll story I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. And um, it's funny because these stories, do you think these stories, these kind of stories happen to certain people or it's just that people who love to tell stories remember the things that happened to them? Yeah, I mean, you know, the, I, I, I explain it like this. First of all, I, I kind of live my life feeling like it's happening to someone else because it's so cool. You know, <laughs> I, I feel like I'm having this out-of-body experience where I'm watching someone jam with Prince or hang out with Paul McCartney or whatever it is. And so every time something like that happens, I think, oh, this, I'm, this is what I'm going to see as I'm on my deathbed. My life is flashing before my eyes. I will certainly see Prince standing before me in purple pajamas with a guitar and we'll be jamming. And then we'll be, um, so in a way, my life flashes before my eyes like every single day. And it's all easy to remember because who could forget something like that? Yeah, I mean, talking about Prince and McCartney, you know, I've had the good fortune to talk to Paul McCartney on several occasions. He even played in my pub for charity one year because he's such a mensch. I've worked with yes. Prince, but I didn't know him very well. You know, when us mere mortals hear about enigmatic characters, you know, once you're in their inner circle or their trust, is it is everything normal again? Or does the enigma sort of um, narrative and character continue? It's never normal. <laughs> To me, I mean, it just isn't, you know, I could, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll try to act cool and, yeah. and you know, make it seem like it's not a big deal, but I'm, I'm dying inside. I can't believe I'm face to face with my heroes. It's crazy. So Dave, yes. uh, you're playing here next year. Thank God for that. Um, any, any plans ahead of that to warm up for that? Or is that just all cool? Will you be back in the groove, back in the slot by then? Yeah. Well, I mean, lately we've been on tour in the States. We just did about like two and a half months in the States. Right. And, um, they're the best shows we've ever played. I can honestly say that. And, you know, the set list is getting longer. The band is playing better. And the audiences are more enthusiastic because I think people missed live music for so long that now, you know, when you jump up on stage with a guitar and you start screaming, everyone starts screaming along. And how emotional was it for you first time back on stage um, after the pandemic? It's still here, of course, but once you could play again, what did that feel like, Dave Grohl? Well, we were asked to reopen Madison Square Garden in New York City. And so, of course, we agreed. And the, the whole year leading up to that show, I'd been having this reoccurring dream where I would walk on stage and the lights would go down and I would just sort of sit there and stare at the audience for a good minute before I even started playing. And it was exactly that when we got on stage, it was amazing. It was cathartic. It was transcendent. Everybody was so happy to be back. And, you know, like you said, we're not entirely out of the woods, but I think, you know, we're taking steps in this. We're learning how to try to resume some sort of 
normal life. Well, here, here, Dave Grohl, you're a fantastic ambassador for life itself, uh, let alone rock and roll. Uh, thanks so much and good luck with the Hall of Fame. All right, my man. We'll see you around. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. Our next guest hoovers up awards like they're going out of style and the quality just keeps on coming. Her new movie, The Harder They Fall, is out on Netflix via Sky Q next month. So, ladies and gentlemen, in Hollywood, she's quite simply known as the Queen, which is funny because her name is Regina King. Yeah, good morning, Regina. Good morning. Good morning. This film, my love, this film, how on earth did it come about? Well, uh, Mr. James Samuel uh, was interested in me playing Trudy Smith. That's the character I play in this film. And we had a call back when I was uh, filming Watchmen in Atlanta, and he was here in London. He's one of your hometown fellas. And... uh, (laughs) And he just totally sold me on it. I'm not a person that's a fan of Westerns, but James is a huge fan of Westerns. And he just described how he saw uh, this story being told, his vision. And he just kind of like Jerry Maguire. He had me at hello. Yeah, well, it's an amazing film. I mean, you know, you can't take your eyes off it. It is a Western like no other. Even if you don't like Westerns, don't worry about it because this is a a brand new genre. And you've said in interviews before, it's so difficult to get involved with anything now that that you haven't seen the likes of before. Uh, And that is completely justified. So here... His, he he discovered something about the history of the Wild West, didn't he, that hasn't been portrayed on the cinema, on, on the big screen before. What what was that? That black people actually existed and they were... <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> Newsflash. I know, it's, it's so bad though, isn't it? Because of, because of how, you know, Westerns have been portrayed. 40% of um, the population of the, the Wild West that were involved in Cowboys and, and all that shenanigans were people of colour. Of course they were. Yes. Yes, yes. And, and you know, when you think about it, just like you said, of course they were. But as we all know, when it comes to history and how it's been written or how it's been portrayed in cinema, um, there's some revision going on. Yeah. So um, while this story that uh, James is telling is not a true story, if you will, all of the main characters are actual uh people that existed in history and who actually rode horses or were cowboy and cowgirls, if you will. So it's just kind of um, exciting to uh, be in this uh, fantasized uh, version of people that really existed. It kind of makes them almost like uh, Avengers in a way. Yeah, it's honestly, you know, it's like Pulp Fiction meets Hamilton. I absolutely adored it. I, I wanted to be... Uh, I like that. Yeah. Pulp Fiction meets Hamilton. You can That's use good. it. But Regina, take I, it with I'll you. I'll handcuff that one. I'll okay. handcuff it. Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> but like, who doesn't want to be, be in that saloon with the swing man playing? And I mean, people don't know what we're talking about because they haven't seen it, but it's... it's And it's really funny. It is it is violent. I know Netflix is trying to push the violence as like a cartoon violence. And it is in parts, but it is, it is pretty violent. It sort of has to be, you know. Uh, the origin opening scenes have to be what they are for the rest of the film to sort of um, 
to to gain the right kind of traction to be to be as believable. Or, yeah, or for but a... you know, it's 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 it. I don't want people to like leave, you know, hearing us talking about it and just leave thinking violence because it is. It's got a bit of it. It's funny. Oh, it's really funny. You know, it's very cheeky at times. There's um, it's beautiful to watch. You know, some of the shots and the imagery is just stunning. Um, the music is banging, man. Yeah, the music is so uh, cool. Yeah, so cool. So it's fun. I feel like it's a fun watch. It's it's you walk away and you do feel like, you know what, I'm going to Google some of those names and look up some of those people. But you feel thoroughly entertained. What's it like to be on one of those Wild West steam trains? What's it like to to have to learn to to I know that lots of the cast had to learn to ride a horse and gun tote and everything else. And Idris Elba has an issue because he's like I am allergic to horses. And if you're allergic to horses, if you if somebody has been stroking or patting a horse and you then shake their hand then you will be in trouble just from that that kind of sort of once removed transmission point of view having said that it looked like you had an absolute blast making it we did we did have a good time especially when you consider that we were making a film in the middle of a pandemic so we're testing every day we're staying six feet apart just up until you know time for cameras to roll so that puts a lot of you know anxiety on the entire crew but we still were able to uh get through it and enjoy the time and as you said learn how to uh ride horses well some of us like myself had ridden a horse before but you know i needed to look cool like i do it all the time <laughs> you know <laughs> and also you have the mother of all fist fights don't you you and your female co-lead Oh, yes. Yeah, but don't give it up. Don't give it up. Okay, They've no, got to tune in. Oh, sorry. So They've got to tune in. I don't know where the spoilers lines begin and end. Sorry, I'm rubbish at that, Regina. I'll take your lead. Um, <laughs> but all good fun. And where was your Wild West town? Whereabouts in the world was that? Uh, let's just say, you know, this is one of those things like in, you know, middle of a, anywhere America. So let's just say somewhere middle America. No, no, I, kind don't, of. I don't mean sort of uh, factually. I mean, where was it from a shooting point of view? Oh, oh, we actually shot in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Wow, cool. Yeah, oh, which is absolutely beautiful. All right, and you are so in demand, uh, quite rightly so, because you, you seem to have the golden touch at the moment, and long may it last. And apparently you're working on a 1920s New York City monster movie next, which I love the sound of. I am. I am. I, I'm. I'm excited about it. Um, it's going to be big and more muscular than anything I've directed uh, in the past. So it, it should be fun. All right, Regina. Well, listen. You have a great night on Wednesday, and I can't wait for the world to see this. Um, it's going to be on Netflix on November third. It's going to wow uh, as a world premiere to the opening of the 65th BFI at London Film Festival. Um, have a great one, and I hope to talk to you about your next project as soon as possible. I hope so too. It's always good coming and <laughs> chatting with you. Next time I'll see you in person. All right, again. Regina. Absolutely. 100%. <laughs> the best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. He's been doing stand up since he was 15 years old, so you know you're in safe hands. Tickets for his UK tour, Humanoid, are on sale now and here to tell us all about it as the finest things have come out of Newcastle since Brown Ale. <laughs> it's the brilliant Ross Noble. Oh, good morning, Ross. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. hello, hello. Well, let's just crack on with the conversation oh. you were all deep, uh, deeply well, committed to off the air. Well, you know, bizarrely, talking about cracking on with the conversation, yes. 
uh, the last time I was here, the last time I saw you all in person, uh-huh. right, was basically I was in to promote the tour that I'm about <laughs> to start. Literally, two, it was two years ago this week. I was last in the studio. Wow. And I said, hey, I've got this tour coming up. Yeah. Well, it turns out that tour is starting this week coming. Yeah, the tour <laughs> you had coming up wasn't coming up. Little yeah. did we all know. Yeah. Talk about pause. Talk about stop the clock. Anyway, as I was saying... <laughs> no, good, I like it. I like yeah, it. Sorry, yeah, the no, great, no, no, let's, let's go with that. Good knowledge, good yeah. knowledge. Uh, two years ago almost to the day. That's yeah. So the tour we're talking about is a worldwide tour. By the way, this is so, so swanky, it's so fancy. You know, the UK leg of his tour. Not like the Blackpool leg or the the, the Hampshire leg. The UK leg, man. I mean, this is cool. Yeah. How leggy can it get? Well, it was... I, I, I had started going to America... And that stopped. <laughs> Everything stopped. <laughs> so yeah, it's uh, yeah. Wait. So I, I done it. I was been in Australia. Yes. And then now, yes, the U, the UK leg. Okay. So I mean, we talked about it, different jokes for different folks. But mm. you know, some comedians sort of can can run the gamut of several continents, let alone mm. nations. How yeah. does your comedy land in Australia compared to, for example, the UK? Compared to, for example, the US? Or is it is it like mainly folks coming to see you and enjoying what you do? I think it's basically as long as you have absolutely no <laughs> substance to what you're talking about or specific as long as it's complete nonsense as long as there's people around the world who like nonsense then you're laughing Well, because everything is nonsense <laughs> anyway because everything's conceptual isn't it exactly that's wow. the deal whoa no but that is the deal though, yeah. isn't it and so so and talking talking good nonsense yes. um is, is an art form i mean seinfeld said didn't he his show the most successful tv show of all time was a show about nothing yeah but ironically, it was a show about the human condition. Yeah. And there was a beautiful story about how he pitched that, when he pitched it, before they said, it's a show about nothing, apparently he went into one of the TV executives and said, it's a show about the human condition. And the executive said to him, but can that sustain five seasons? The human condition. <laughs> like, yeah, probably. Well, it's been yeah. doing right for 150,000 years. Exactly, I mean, we know. haven't learnt much. Yeah. Um, uh, right, now you're talking about chickens. So from humans yeah. to chickens. So from humanoid, uh, the yeah. tour is called Humanoid, and you can get tickets from rossnoble.com. That's really important. Starts next Wednesday, 13th of October. Um, lockdown for... Not, you know, notwithstanding. It, it, let's COVID, COVID twenty. Notwithstanding, yeah, it's happening. It's unless unless a comet. We'll be here in two years and you go. Right. Do you remember when that meteorite hit the yeah. Earth? I had to postpone it again. Okay, so so, so we are human. So our species is humanoid. So yeah. chickens would be. Uh, Fell. Ac- um, poultry. 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 Is it? Is that? Is that right? Is that the right I collective think so. for them? Yeah. Avian. They're avian, aren't they're they? They're avian. Avianoid. Yeah. yeah. So let's have an avianoid. Co- By the way, everybody listening, you know this. This. This is a conversation that could have dropped onto the air uh, if I'd have just turned the microphones on because I don't know what the. I don't. Know, <laughs> I sort of know. I don't know. Right. So it started with Rachel, but <laughs> reminiscing about the first time she sort of experienced um, Ross up close and personal, which was a very enjoyable thing from a comedy audience point of view. Performing. Uh, point of view then Ross takes over continuing it's chicken theme right continuing the, the poultry conversation and Vassos just piles in over the top of Ross saying I, I had an amazing chicken fact this morning then he announces the chicken fact which was unfortunately disappointingly amazing yeah. and then Ross says oh no and then carries on about the same chicken fact yeah 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 so Vassos like th- this is well, well so your first tour in t- uh, your first Edinburgh rather in 2000 was a chicken well, why related don't, why don't we just why don't we just reenact what happened Rachel what was your <laughs> first experience of Ross. 
Edinburgh Festival 2000. The summer I got together with Alex and we went to see Ross's Chicken Master show, I think at least three or four times. And uh, I laughed very, very loudly and uh, Ross pointed me out in the audience. Uh, but, but by the way, yes. it was called Chicken Master. It had nothing to do with chickens. <laughs> I, I built a giant castle that looked that had chicken gargoyles on it. And I walked out on stage and then never mentioned it at all. Yeah. That was the... By the way, for Chicken Master, when? What year was it? 2000. See Taskmaster now. Yes. Change your word, take a third. Exactly, exactly. Thanks, <laughs> kitchen. Mm-hmm. Chicken to ching. Right, so then Vassos, yes, the, gr- Vassos great... the Greek piles in with his chicken fact. <laughs> I heard a great chicken fact this yeah. morning. In 1948, in Colorado, they beheaded a chicken that, and the chicken, Mike... Carried on living for three years. Mike, the headless chicken, survived without a head for three years. Yeah. To which I said, yes, there's a documentary about that chicken, which is brilliant. They actually took him on tour. They toured him around. Not that he had any idea, I would imagine. (laughs) Was he a rooster? Is he what? Was he a rooster? Yeah, yeah. There was I no mean, egg laying. I, I think he supported Ozzy Osbourne for a while. No, not in 1948. And he, and he just, when he bit the head off the... They put a false head on him and then he bite the head was off. A, was that a dove? Oh, was it was that, a bat. Was it that, was a bat, yeah. Didn't Alice Cooper bite the head off a dove and then Ozzy Osbourne up the stakes? Somebody threw a bat onto oh, the stage. I don't know what happened. Someone threw a bat onto the stage and Ozzy thought it was, a, it was a rubber bat. So he bit the head off it and then went... Oh, oh, putting it off, 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 and it was blood down his face, right. and he had to go and get a rabies shot. Okay, I love Ozzy. How did they keep the headless chicken alive? Uh, with a pipette. <laughs> they put like grain down its hole. Yeah. Don't just default to the word pipette because we'll all believe you. <laughs> you can always do that. <laughs> yeah, that's, what the, that's what Boris Johnson does. How are you going to sort out this? Pipettes. Oh, Articulated pipettes driven by the army. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but they, they had a pipette for water, and then yeah, I think I think uh, some sort of grain goop that they shoved down there, and three, and they toured around, and people would come from miles around to right. see Mike, Mike the the headless chicken. Humanoid tour starts <laughs> next Wednesday, 13th of October in Telford. Tickets rossnoble.com and dates everywhere. I mean, I'll go through them. Telford, Ipswich, Norwich, Highway, Come Shrewsbury, a couple of nights there, Guildford, Cardiff, Wrexham, Bristol, Leeds, Leamington, Spa, Barnstable, Dorking, Salford Keys, Carlisle, Nottingham, Crewe, Barron, Furness, Liverpool, Northampton, Buxton, Glasgow, Middlesbrough, Athenium Theatre in Melbourne. Oh, it's a bit far for us, this one. Yeah. Um, so December 2021, Melbourne, um, January, Alice January. Springs. It picks up again. I go back to Australia. Yeah, but I come back to the UK in... It's not exactly on the way, is it? <laughs> not really. <laughs> you got you got to Australia for five dates. Yeah, but you know. Yeah, no, cool. yeah. <laughs> yes. well, they paid the money. Yeah, but we had to move those dates, I know, I so know. I had to fit I them in. I understand, it's fine. <laughs> Aberdeen, Aberdeen in January next year. Uh, Edinburgh, Newcastle, uh, three nights. Sheffield, Doncaster, Kingsland, Halifax, Lancaster, York, Manchester. You know how Britain works. It's more of Britain. Exactly. Uh, thanks, Ross. Thanks for having me. Okay, you're absolutely awesome. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. Treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their Golden Glow body set includes three clinically proven bestsellers for smooth, glowing skin. While the Glow & Go facial set provides spa-level results at home. Both sets come in giftable boxes with savings up to $48 and free shipping for a limited time. For 10% off your first order site-wide, go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM. 
All right, I told you it's a busy one. We've heard from a bunch of sensational guests already, but still to come. The hilarious acting brilliance of Joe Gilgan, filling us in in the only candid way he knows how about Series 3 of Brassic Superchef James Martin, making us drool with delicious dishes from his brand new book, Butter, and also with the breaking news that he's bought and now owns Spudge You Like. Yes, that's actual all the spudgy likes James Martin by the way Sopranos legend and legendary rocker Stevie Van Sant came in to take us through the pages of his brand new book Unrequited Infatuations a memoir which is one of the best rock and roll memoirs I've ever read and the coolest dude on earth C6 Steve was also here uh, to talk about his tour and that tour is called Just Steve a Guitar and You it's out next month you can buy tickets now at um, c6steve.com I think uh, so let's get right back to it Dapper Dave who are we going to talk to next out of that lot from Coronation Street to high drinks with a bull, our next guest can do it all. Series 3 of the hilarious Sky Original Brassic starts tomorrow on Sky Max, so please go wild for a Keegan that can't play football like Kevin, but is infinitely more photogenic. It's Michelle Keegan! Yeah! <laughs> I didn't know, that's a bit harsh, you know, in the 70s, late 70s, early 80s. Really? Even then? With the perm? No! Maybe not. Um, Michelle, how did you get, how close did you get to the bull and what happened next? I got very, very close to the ball. There was a pen in between us, but, I mean, if you wanted to get through, it definitely could. So it oh was very daunting. Because there's BS, which stands for something usually, but there's another form of BS, which stands for something as far as this opening episode is concerned yes. of season three. Yes, and yes, we, yes. We just have to leave that there on it's Breakfast Radio. It's worth a lot of money, let's put it that way. Yeah, that it, BS is worth a lot of money. Is. Michelle, for people who've just landed on the planet, tell them about Brassic. What is it? What goes on? Uh, tell us about the gang. Tell us who you play. So I play Eric in Brassic who is a single mom she's very strong minded um, she knows what she wants out of life and she is involved with a boy gang um, that's basically a man gang a really. man gang yeah man yeah, gang yeah, yeah man gang um, who so the lead is called Vinny and they sort of get into trouble a lot of the time petty thieves you know petty crime petty thieves um, and yeah it's based up north uh, and we have a lot of fun on set. It's a lot of fun. They're lovable rogues, aren't they? Lovable rogues, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, if you haven't seen Brassic, it's really hard to sort of parachute into your brain. I know. Um, what you, you just have to watch a trailer for it. That's probably... Look, that's so true. Tune out of Virgin Radio now, and I don't say this very often, and just watch any two-minute trailer available for Brassic anywhere it's you can. It's really hard to describe. But if you watch one minute of it, you get it straight you away. You get it straight away. It's like, it's, it is comedy, but there's heart this heart behind it as well and it's very relatable like the characters are all really re- relatable um but yeah it's such a fun fun show well it's, it's i think it's testament to the fact that your problems are your problems and they might seem greater or lesser than anybody else but you know a hundred percent of our problems to to ourselves are a hundred percent of our problems that's the way it is and yeah. you know we exist within our own mind our own world our own orbit you are your five uh, closest friends etc etc and this is all that the illustration, the composition of this gang from the off um, hit the ground running. And, you know, the opening sequence uh, where we have this this time-lapse footage of Vinny six months in jail is absolutely oh, yeah. hilarious. <laughs> so funny, isn't it? Yeah, when he's, oh, when he's getting God. frisked. Well, no, all, all of it, all of it. When he's yeah. saying goodbye to his cellmate, we can't. I mean, yeah. we can't. We can't. We can only touch upon every single thing we want to talk about. Four, five percent of the content of the things we're talking about, because after yeah. that, we just can't talk about it on the nope. radio. So much. There's so much. It's really difficult to interview. I said to the guys before you came in because I don't really know how we talk about it. Do you know what I mean? Without giving too much away. Well, also without getting 
taken off the radio. Yeah, <laughs> that's for example. so true. <laughs> it's so true. And I was saying before that like, you've had Joe on the show, but he can explain it better than me. I think. No, without, you no. know what I mean. It's just, it's just so hard because there's so many funny moments that. You can't really talk about live on air. You you have to watch the show. Yeah, you you have, have to watch, watch it. it. You have to watch it. I mean, I I watched it yesterday um, afternoon because the twins were in bed. They're only three, yeah. but I still thought this might not be good for them within earshot. I know they're only three. <laughs> they probably can't put these words next to each other, make them get them in any kind of trouble. Um, so I watched it, and then Tash and I uh, we have a little sort of half hour now once the kids all the kids have gone to bed, and yeah. I've got to go to sleep before she has because we get up at silly o'clock. Mm. And then I already could reference with time codes the funniest bit of the first episode, so I just showed her those. She went, "This is hilarious." <laughs> what, which bits did you think were the funniest? Well, the first I had to sh- the first bit I had to show was um, the harvesting of the um, <laughs> BS. Yes, the BS. <laughs> I had to show that bit, yeah, because the, I just so that was the first bit, and also it was the nearest bit to where I'd finished watching the first episode because it. Yeah. Yeah. later on in the episode yeah the second bit <laughs> i went back to the beginning and it was Vinny leaving prison Prison. oh yeah yeah <laughs> so funny <laughs> no, beyond funny right and then the third bit was um farmer uh, jim farmer jim's exchange with Vinny uh after waking him up in the train carriage where Vinny lives yes because in the I've, woods. I've never heard such an expletive riven Exchange between two people that was again absolutely hilarious on the yeah. on telly. It was just it's so good. I was, okay, let me ask you this about okay. classic. Okay, do they ever feel like right on the day when you're shooting it? Yeah, you know, and you don't know how things play until you read them out loud. Yeah. Do you? So you yeah. have your read throughs and yeah. this kind of stuff. But even then, even after a table read or a read through, you get on set and you think this is this is going one way when it should be going another, or it's mm-hmm. going another, which is better than the way we intended it to go. Do you ever have the conversation on set? We need to tone this down because if you do, goodness knows what it was gonna be. If you, if this, if any of this is toned down, it's so funny you say that because a few weeks ago we were doing a particular scene, and yeah, we got told to by the script supervisor <laughs> to sort of turn the language down. But for some reason, it went in the opposite oh, yeah. direction. Oh, and I don't think I don't know if it's because. You know, we we were aware of what we were saying then, so it sort of like got out of hand. But yeah, it actually went in the opposite direction. And the script advisor thinking, why did I open my why did I even say God? that? I shouldn't have said anything. Exactly. It's like and, it's- but a lot of the time, so, well, I'll say most of the boys ad lib. Obviously, they stick to the script, but there's a lot of ad libs going on. Yeah. Um, which yeah, which involves a lot of um swearing and things like that yeah it's not but it's we sort of did we're doing it a disservice because it's not just about, it's not about the language it's about it's about the reality of the situation it's yeah. about the tone it's a, you know it's a drama it's it a, it's a dra- it it's a dramedy isn't it it's a it comedy is. drama and we know that drama is merely the hyperbolization the exaggeration of what goes on exactly. for, for dramatic effect to hit the point home in an hour when it usually it might take a lifetime that's <laughs> exactly. what drama is all about exactly you know and you do it so well Michelle, it's great to see you ah <laughs> oh, nice to see you seriously well Thanks done for having me on please Give our love to everybody involved in Brassic. I will do. Good luck I with will. the house. Um, yeah. Come and see us again soon. I definitely will. When are you back at the coalface? Uh, next week. So All right, minutes great. Week. All right, cheers, pal. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. Deborah David's over to you. If there's trouble to be found, our next guest is just the man to find it. The wait is over. Season three of the brilliant Sky original Brassic is available in full from today on Sky Max. And here to tell us all about it is a man that gives whole new meaning to the word bullseye. It's Joe Gilgan. All right, Joe. How's it going? Rock and roll, Joe. Oh, man. How are are we all? Very well. How are you doing, Joe? I'm all right. I just put it out there dead quick while I'm, while we before we start. 
any language or any blasphemy, you'll have to uh, forgive. Uh, mentally ill and struggle uh, to not swear in, uh, as I'm expressing myself. So if that does happen, I'm truly sorry to anyone that's overly sensitive. I like the, pr- <laughs> the pre-apology. That is so cool. There you that, go. that helps me out yeah. infinitely, I can't tell you. Because, Joe, you are the Virgin Radio 2021 equivalent of the Channel 4 um, version uh, back in 1996 of Sean Ryder. And that's the way it is. You oh, know, this is the la- that's a good one. This that's is the language one. you speak. Joe, congratulations. We have been given the encoded little link, the secret links to season three of Brassic. We are absolutely loving it. We don't know where you get the capers from. You keep them coming. I mean, you know, three or four episodes of Brassic would keep Guy Ritchie going probably for the rest of his career. Um, Do you know what? Go on. Honestly, you're absolutely right. In fact, I'll let you into a little secret. One of our botanical uh, grows that we had, um, the plants that we used, we had to steal them from Guy Ritchie. And then we had a fight in said botanical grow and sent a load of broken plants back to him. He was fuming. Well, so there you go, a bit of an in-house story about Guy Ritchie there and stealing his botanicals. But therein lies, lies a future episode, maybe, perhaps. Do you know what I mean? Let's get him in. Yeah. The love of God who cost a fortune. Hey, pal, listen, um, um, congratulations. Today is the day. It's the worldwide launch of Brassic Season 3. How does it yeah. feel? Do you know what? It's always a bit terrifying. It's always a little bit... I tend to, like, I, I push it away. People ask me when it's coming out constantly, and I never have the answer. I think I just... I'm not bad with numbers and dates, any road, to be honest with you, a bit of a drug addict. But I, I, I always try and avoid avoid the bloody... You know, just the oncoming onslaught. It's going to be a tsunami, but I'm really excited for it, man. And I think, I honestly think the worry is that we, and I, I say it sound a bit arrogant, but I think Danny, as our writer, is just getting better and better. Yeah. So I don't see an end. We're a victim of our own success here. We don't know what to do with ourselves. Yeah, but when <laughs> success meets you, you know, coming in the opposite direction, whatever that means, by the way, success in inverted commas, you know, if you're doing things yeah. for the right reasons and you're all on the right side or wrong, then, you know, whatever rocket fuel was there in the first place gets supercharged. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, it's spot on. I mean, it's all real. Everything you're, you're going to watch, I mean, not necessarily at one in its entirety is real. There's a version of that that was real. It's all based on a truth. So even like the mental health stuff, I, I've just been as honest as I can with the creative team, with Danny and, and David Livingston, the rest of them at Sky. And so what you're watching, like, I, it's real. It's real stuff. And we, we very rarely stick to the script because nobody wants to learn anything. <laughs> it's the most wildly unprofessional <laughs> set. I absolutely love it here, dude. It's anarchy. Um any road. So, yeah, there's, there's plenty of reasons to watch it. The one thing I would say is just remember that this is all, all, partly autobiographical. It's unique in that sense. And what you are watching is the truth, you know. Yeah, I mean, if people are late to the party, they've got season one and season two to, to dive into and enjoy. But it's renowned. Brassic's renowned is spreading throughout the world. You know, it's not a sleep hit yeah. by any means, but it is building momentum. I didn't get to Breaking Bad until it was four years in. Um, and so these things <laughs> yeah. do and can happen and will continue to happen. And we had the lovely Michelle yeah. Keegan on the show yesterday, who was awesome. It was the best interview I've ever heard her do. I know I did a bit of it. You know, I asked the questions, but she was on fire. <laughs> She's in a very happy place at the moment. And she was brilliant. She was brilliant for an hour. We had her on for an hour. And she was awesome. And I was talking about the worldwide um, sort of uh, spread of the fame, the notoriety, the infamy, if you like, whatever, of Brassic. Mm. And she told me, um, she gave me her take. And what's yours? Uh, 
What, on the fame side of things? Well, just the fact that it's taken the world, but you're getting fan mail from Russia and from Mexico and yeah, from Australia. Yeah. i tell you what, I actually got a dog jacket. The, 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 the Russian fans, if, if there's anyone any of them listening, they made me a little jacket for me dog pig. Right. Uh, he looks like a bouncer. It's amazing. It's an ama- <laughs> The feedback has been insane. I mean, because I don't do social media. I just don't know how to switch a computer on. I, I still know the Amiga 500 and not much else. But... Um, yeah, the feedback's insane. And, I, like, people tend to... Like, do you know what surprises me? Is there's actually a much older audience, grandmas and granddads, that find it hilariously funny, you know? Yeah. So that, that always surprises me. That, that I get a lot of mums asking me when it's coming out. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're speaking to a granddad now. I'm granddad of two. So, you know, I'm... Mean, That's t- a handsome granddad. Very you're much. Handsome well, granddad. thank you, thank you. What have you been drinking? I have no idea. Well, you, you, <laughs> it wouldn't be any good for you, Joe, let me tell you. Um, so, so Michelle said, ask him about his new tats. But when, when we come back, when we start filming again, he's always got yeah. a, a, a collection of new tats. Um, so, go on. Fill us in on your I'll give you a in. good one. So I've had a few. I have. I, I'm in this constant pursuit to ruin my own career. I think with these tattoos. <laughs> so my latest one, I got our producer Mags tattooed on the inside of his finger, but the M's fallen off, so now it just says Ags. Ags. Mm. So the idea was when I'd be smoking in the scenes, you'd be able to see a little name. So that was the most recent, and it killed me. I've gone over. I've gone. I've covered a few tattoos that were terrible, actually. You know. If you you know your early tattoos are kind of dreadful choices like Chinese symbols that it's just an order of rice, you know. So <laughs> I've ended up I've covered one or two. I have a big magpie on my chest, and that probably means the most to me because uh, you know I'm a thief too. Magpies like shiny things, and so do I. Listen, oh, am I, is this it nearly over now? I'm feeling like we're coming to an end. I just want to say thanks to you, man, because you're so good to us, Christoph. You're a good lad promoting well, our show like you do. It's not difficult to promote gold, my friend, let me tell you. I just gotta just gotta point people in the direction of, of the, the gleam, the glimmer and the blinding light from uh, from wherever they're they're sitting or, or standing. So well done, mate. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate it an awful lot. All right, there we go. Live from the set of the filming of season four of Brassic on the day that season three is available to watch now. That is the amazing Joseph Gilgan. Vinny from Brassic, co creator, co writer. Bonafide genius. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. Our first guest, magnificent music is matched only by the brilliance of his beard. His UK tour, Just Steve, a Guitar and You, kicks off next month. And to celebrate this morning, we've got Steve and his guitar just for you. Everyone's a fan of this blues man. It's C6 Steve. Hey, brother. What's up, my brother? What's going down, man? Oh, it's just so nice to be back a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you brought the sunshine with you. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I'd, any other time you want me, just give me a call. I'll bring some sunshine with you. Well, you can bring it from anywhere you like, can't you? Because you, you said, I said, how are you doing? She said, well, I'm a, pun- a country bumpkin. I'm back in the centre of London. How long has, have, has it been since you came to a city like this? I don't, I think three years ago. Unbelievable. And I haven't. You know, we've been, me and my wife just been in Nor- Norway all during the pandemic. So we've been, and we don't know nobody there. So we've just been sitting with each other for a year and a half. So it's just, to, all, and then all of a sudden, I, like a week ago, I played the Isle of Wight in front of 50,000 people. And I'm just like coming from being, just sitting in my house. Yeah. I walked up on the stage and just like, I couldn't hardly breathe. But it's, so it's, it's still a graduated reintroduction because the Isle of Wight is still an island. <laughs> still not quite the mainland. Oh, here I am. How London. was the Isle of Wight Festival for you? It, it was amazing. It was just surreal. You know, me and Dan, we, we look out there and it's just like, 
because it it seemed kind of normal, but it obviously it ain't totally normal yet. Yeah. But you know, we did, we did, we just said, you know what, let's just just rock. Yeah, and there, there is because we obviously you know about Carfest, you're the life president of Carfest. Um, we had our first Carfest this year, three days after the government lifted all restrictions on things such as festivals. So it was touch and go. We built the festival. It took us two months to build the festival. Three days before, we weren't sure whether it was going to happen, and then we were given the green light, and we did have that decompression hiatus, that moment, that vacuum of um, of of uh, sort of um, apprehension. Just as the customers, the clients, the patrons were setting foot on our festival site again. Um, but very quickly, we all got over it. If that's the right phrase, it probably isn't. Um, and we just went back to not the new normal, to actual normal. Yeah. 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 I think that's... that's I was thinking about you guys really a lot when you were doing that, how it how strange it must have been but then all of a sudden you just you just go for it because what else is there what else do? are you going to do it's yeah. like a baby choosing not to walk that's <laughs> what that's what those legs are for my friends yeah and so so you are i mean your, your country bumping qualifications are second to none because you are small village in norway surfing village a community in san diego and um uh, barely um uh, identifiable community whatsoever in cornwall you couldn't be more country if you tried yeah, well, well, we stay down in Cornwall. It's just a farm. It's just out in the middle of nowhere, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. So just ain't no people around. So coming to London is a little bit, <laughs> I feel. But, you know, when we drove over here this morning, there was no traffic. <laughs> I know. I, I don't even know. I, I, so I, part of me don't even know where I am. I mean, that drive would have taken a long time, normal. And also I was walking around yesterday over by Marleybone. Is that how you say it? Marleybone. Mar- Marleybone. And... Uh, I just felt like a Martian or something. Yeah, it was it was cool, but I, I yeah. I, but it's a lot busier than it was. I mean, that's the strange thing. I mean, yeah. there's, there's the fuel thing going on as well. So it's. I mean, yesterday was ridiculous. I was driving out of London at eleven o'clock on the A40, past Shepherd's Bush and past White City, and there were three cars in front of me exiting London at eleven o'clock on a, on a Tuesday. And I think, <laughs> what is going on? I still don't know what's going on, to be no, honest. But you know. I'm so happy to get to play again, and I really feel that the music starting up again, like with Carfest and all these different things, is like medicine for yeah, people. Every people, I, I I didn't really know this, but I I see that people need it, man. Like when I would look at the audiences, when the different festivals we playing. You know, they're just hungry for just to have a good time again, and me too, for that matter. Well, we talked about this on the show today, and we talked about it last week as well. You know, this lovely uh, revelation that has been distilled for us by some very clever people. It's not what you do is, it's what you do does. It's not what something is, it's what something does. And I think that's what we've realized more than ever about music, live entertainment, community, company of other human beings. Yeah. My brother. My brother, too. All right, so the great news for everybody listening is C6 Steve is playing, is A, alive, and B, playing live. (laughs) (laughs) Which, which for those, is the biggest celebration. (laughs) My wife, is. I think, will go with the one about being above ground. Okay, uh, any day above ground is his favourite saying. Right, so listen to this, everyone. Thursday the 4th, of uh, um, uh, November Bexhill Delaware Pavilion sold out forget it uh, Saturday 6th of November Nottingham Royal Concert Hall you can go and see C6 Steve if you live within spitting distance uh, buying a ticket distance of Nottingham Royal Concert Hall you need to be there to see this man perform he will move you it is the job of people who inspire and entertain and inform and instruct 
to move you to a better place. He will move you to a better place. So you need to move yourself to Nottingham Royal Concert Hall, Saturday, 6th of November. Sunday, the 7th of November, the London Palladium. Sunday, the 7th of November. It's a school night, Steve. What are you doing to us? We're going to have to come and watch you and just be tired on the show the next day. I'm going to school the next day, so I, I don't care. All right, okay. Sunday, the 7th of um, November, the London Palladium. C6 Steve at the London Flipping Palladium. What a laugh. Tuesday, the 9th, <laughs> Birmingham Symphony Hall. Thursday, the 11th, York Barbican. Saturday, 13th, Edinburgh Usher Hall. Sunday, the 14th of November, the Manchester Lowry um, venue. That's a, have, you, you've, have you played there before? I, I, oh, I, mate, none of these places. That is an awesome venue. Tuesday, 16th, Newcastle O2 City Hall. Wednesday, 17th, Bristol Hippodrome. Uh, four tickets go to C6 c6steve.com all right you need to see c6steve you need to get him in your life if you haven't got him in before is dan coming with you on the tour no no it's just me okay just me. well he doesn't he doesn't stay awake for some gigs anyhow we know no, that but no that, no no he sleeps that's, that's the whole other story <laughs> cheers steve oh man the best of the chris evans breakfast show with sky virgin radio if you're in the market for impeccable rock music or the finest television ever made, our next guest is your man. His memoir, Unrequited Infatuations, is out now. So please welcome a rocking and rolling actor that's the right right-hand man for all occasions. Bada bing, it's Stevie Vansett! <laughs> Morning, Stevie! Hiya, Chris. What a legend! I can't believe you're sitting opposite me. <laughs> what an intro. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I love your book, man. Oh, man. I love it. Um, Thank you. Know, you. you know, it's, it's often, you know... It's, it's positive isn't it is life is it a game of skill or is it a game of chance or a bit of both your book is a bit of both isn't it yeah it really is i mean apart from being part of the luckiest generation ever you know i'm also the luckiest guy in the luckiest generation i, I think you know feels like that yeah because you're a super talent you're also a super fan well yeah it starts off as a fan and uh you know the first half of the book is really you know local kid from new jersey makes it in rock and roll which is a good story in itself but yeah. then you know the second half of the book takes an interesting turn I think yeah I think it's really interesting you know let, let's focus if you don't mind we'll start not at the beginning of the book but we'll go like a, a few pages in so yeah. um, tell us about that night at the, the Ed Sullivan show this this heady mix this sort of chaotic cosmos of, of wonder that was Ed Sullivan the Beatles the Rolling Stones and the Rat Pack yeah, exactly. That was my youth summed up right there. So what, what was it like? So you were, th you were 13 that night the Beatles appeared on the Ed Sullivan show. Yeah, where, yeah. where were you? What was the buzz before the show, if there was one? What happened during the show? How did you feel? And what was it like the day after in the world? The... Um the thing to remember in those days, there wasn't that many bands in America. You know, I think England was was a bit ahead on with that, but we didn't. You know, if you went to your high school dance, it was an instrumental group that played. Yeah, you know, there wasn't people playing and singing that that often, so it was unusual just to see a band. And um, we we're there in the, you know, there's only one TV in the house, and uh, the whole family would watch it on Sunday night at a variety show. And uh, the variety shows always had something for every age group. So, and something for the teenagers that night was the Beatles. Now, we already had the I, I Want to Hold Your Hand was finally released. You know, they, they turned down the first four Beatles singles in America, the American company. <laughs> and they finally were forced to release their fifth single, <laughs> I Want to Hold Your Hand, which, <laughs> which went like right to number one. And... Um, so by the time they played the Ed Sullivan show, this variety show, they did have a big a big hit in America, and uh, the whole country tuned in, 70 million, 72 million. And, 
the whole world changed that night for me. I mean, it was what I call the big bang of rock and roll for my generation anyway. I mean, you know, uh, and um, it was the beginning of a, of a new idea that I needed desperately as a kid that just didn't fit in. You yeah, know? yeah. I, I just didn't want to go to college. I didn't want to. There was no job that interested me. I didn't, I didn't want to go in the military. I was too small for sports. What are you going to do? You know, yeah. what are you going to do? You're a freak, you know, and uh, suddenly it was a new world, you yeah. know, and uh, by the time we met the Beatles now, they were quite good. I mean, they were halfway through their career already, yeah. you know, they'd been together since 57, really, and gone in 69, so in 64... They had gotten they very sophisticated, and um, and it was and they were just perfect. The harmony was perfect. The hair, the clothes, you know, you've never seen anything like it. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, um, so as as great as they were, and and, and introducing this whole new world, um, it, it wasn't something you look at and say, well, I think I can do that. Uh, you know, it was it was way too uh, sophisticated for that. Four months later, the Rolling Stones come. And they make it look easier than it is. You know, they were casual, wearing whatever they felt like, and um, the hair wasn't really... Unsmiling. Perfect. Unsmiling. Very important to me. Mick Jagger was the first guy I ever saw in show business that didn't smile. And that doesn't sound important now, but I wasn't interested in show business. You know, I was interested in a lifestyle. And so when, you, when you're not smiling, it suggests something entirely different, mm -hmm. you know? And... Um, they were really the first punk band in many ways. I mean, like I say, they made it look easy. They didn't have much harmony, and you know, it 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 it, uh, it was something where you looked at them and said, "Well, you know, maybe I could do that." And uh, so the way I like to put it is, the Beatles introduced an entirely new world to us, and the Rolling Stones invited us in. Yeah, which is so super cool. Yeah, and uh, you know, we often say on this show that the the work is the shortcut, or the shortcut is the work. So you got to work. Um, and, and just sum up the next five, ten years of, of, of your experience learning to play. I know you talk about the craft of playing in your book. Don't well, you? yeah, I talk about the five crafts of rock and roll. Yeah, yeah. I'm very, very specific. I wanted the book to be more than just, like I say, uh, my own narrative. Uh, I, I wanted to, first of all, a lot of history in the book because I witnessed most of it, except for the first decade of rock and roll. So the, you get a lot of history. And, I, and I've been involved with a lot of crafts, so I wanted the craft stuff to be in there as well. It's like a playbook. Yeah. It's like a manual almost. That's why. That's yeah. what really surprised me about it. And I don't know why, because I was looking forward to reading it anyway. Yeah, yeah, but that's exactly what I was hoping for. You know, exactly what you said, Chris. You know, that balance between history, craft, and the narrative itself, the story as it winds through. And the first half is that wonderful story. Kid makes good, you know, in rock and roll. But then, after 15 years of trying to make it, and we finally make it, I walk away, and the whole new adventure begins. And that's where I think it gets interesting. That's where the bigger themes come in. You know? <laughs> it's funny that that's where you find it gets interesting, because mm. that was so different for you. It's all interesting from a reader's <laughs> point of view, let me tell you. Um, but it's so beautifully written. Um, you know, again, you didn't join the Eastley Band in the end by accident, but it, it wasn't an it wasn't an instant thing. It, it was something that took its oh, course. No. It took its time. Well, no, it? we didn't have a hit till our fifth album, really. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, you know, the third album, Born to Run, made a little noise. Then Darkness on the Edge of Town, the fourth album, was less popular. But also you becoming part of the E Street Band wasn't an instantaneous... Oh, no, no, no. I was in Southside joining Asbury Jukes. We had started that band. And, um, and, and Bruce was just um, hanging around, and, and, and he's like, I, I got seven gigs booked for the third album. The record company was about to drop them. Uh, and he said, you know, I, I want to put the guitar down for a minute. Come join me. Be the guitar player. I'll, I'll front the band for these seven gigs, yeah, yeah. you know. 
And those seven gigs turned into seven years, you know, but uh, it was a whole different persona that Bruce was about to transform into, you know, this front man, you know, yeah. which uh, it was interesting just watching my very, very shy best friend, very shy, introverted, you know, hair hanging down, you know, the grunge, you, you picture the grunge guys. Well, Bruce and me were grunge before, <laughs> 20 years before grunge. <laughs> the best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. Dapper Dave, give him the big intro. Find someone that looks at you the same way our next guest looks at a knob of butter. His mouth-watering new book, simply titled <laughs> Butter, is out next Thursday. And take our word for it, we have a copy, so we can believe it's butter. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the most delicious of all the spreads. James Martin! Good morning, James. Good morning. Oh, what a book this is. So first of all, you know, there's there's what you can, how you can cook with butter. But the first half of the book is about about all the different butters. Yeah, butter is not just butter. It uh, tells you how easy it is to make. Uh, a lot of people don't know what it what it is. Yeah. So it goes, the first recipe in there is how easy it is to make. And then it goes through the process that butter is not just butter. Treat it like olive oil. There's so many different types, so many different flavours. It's all to do with the, the, the grass that it's grow, uh, grown on, the, the, the food that it eats and everything else. And you just produce um we've produced some amazing stuff in this country but also how you serve it up what you serve it on you know mm. you can serve it on a cedar slate or you can serve it in some kind of wax proof paper or in a sort of kind of rustic dish or you know behind some kind of sort of fancy sort of french ornate glass bowl uh, you got cafe de paris butter talking about that you got <laughs> carrot and coriander butter my mouth is so watering. Chili butter, lemon and herb butter. These are all in the book. Maitre d'hotel uh, butter. You've got chipotle butter and lime. Uh, you've got pink peppercorn butter, marmite butter, red wine butter, <laughs> roast garlic. It goes on and on. Roast garlic butter. And how to make them, by the way. How to make these butters. Make your own butter. Do it today. Roast red pepper butter. I literally can't speak. I can't speak. I've never salivated so much uh, in, in a conversation on the radio. Shellfish butter. Seaweed butter, miso butter, wine garlic butter, taramasalata, and chicken skin butter. It just goes on and on and on. If you had to have one butter before you die, James, or is this even a question? Does it even have an answer? What might that be? There are so many different ones. I brought a few of them, few in for you as well. We've got the classic Ecure, uh, uh, the French one, which is uh, a little bit of sea salt. Best sea salt in the world, as we know, is the fleur de sel from the Camargue. So try a little bit okay, of that one. Okay, let's have this on. Right. Try now, a little bit of that you, one. The bread you brought us in, you brought us a, I presume that's a sourdough and the other one's a brioche, is yeah, that right? Yeah, my, yeah, my guys in the kitchen made a nice little sourdough and we've made a nice little, uh, a little bit of brioche to go with it. But just have a taste. But you'll see straight away that it's not the normal stuff that you buy in the supermarket. If you taste the, if you look at it as a raw material and taste it, that's just one. It gets better. Then you go the 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 bungay butter, which we've got on here, which is made in the UK. It's unpasteurized, but when you taste it, it's got a shorter shelf life. But when you taste it, it's just unbelievable. I'm ashamed of my shelf life. Yeah, just taste that one. I'm taking you a little bit around the country now. You are, and I can tell. Yeah. yeah. Mm. yeah. Wow. And I of course, it. butter changes from season to season. In the summer, mm. it get, it's a different. It's a bit like cheese. Cheddar mm. cheese is not the same in the summer as it is in the winter, because but, the because the it, what is what the cattle's produced. This bread is on. where butter meets cheese almost. I, I'm tasting the coast here. Well, it's the, more or less the same material. So you've yeah. just got cream just blended, and, and that's it. And then I'm going to take you to this. This is probably the most well-used butter in terms of the Michelin star restaurants at the moment. It's it's uh, from a company called Ampersan. Uh, they're based in the south. Um, it's a, it, this is what you would use for for making. I use this when we're making brioche, and you're making laminated doughs. It's got very little moisture in it. 
You can see the colour on it. It tastes unbelievable. What are you doing to us? Oh my god! Tastes <laughs> unbelievable. But you see, this when you taste so normal, nice. but when you taste normal butter, you just go really, and then you taste this. I, go, dare, I dare this is- somebody, probably you. Because you're well, here. Yeah. I dare somebody just open a joint where you just eat bread and butter. You know, and it's called bread and... It's B&B or whatever. <laughs> you just go in there to have amazing bread and amazing butter. And would I would have a cup of tea with this. This what, that's what, what would you have with this to drink? I would have nothing with this. Just just enjoy it. Just to, I'd have more butter. But what I love about great cake and a great great desserts and nice chocolate... Yeah, but you can have a nice beer with this. And butter, you could, I suppose, yeah. is I like the way that... If you don't, if you have, you have, you eat what you're eating first. And then if you have a cup of tea, it flavours the tea because of what's on your tongue. Do you know what I mean by why that? Do, why do you have a glass of this? I've got, look, I brought this. Can I come over and sit there? You yeah, want? You're James Martin. Got this. Mm. What's this? Oh, everybody's at it. Gary Barlow, Cliff Richard, James Martin, Chardonnay Marsan. Yeah, this was a this is a, a French oh, company that, that asked Sean, me to yeah. do this. They've, been, they've they've got ten of the best chefs in in France mm. to uh, to make their own wine. Guy Savoie being one of them as well, probably the most decorated chef in the world. And then I was the one that they picked for the UK, and and we've gone over there and and blended our own wine. So we've got a red and a white wine Look to go with you. it. I brought uh, I brought not just the butter with me, but I'm gonna uh, can I can I officially launch this today? I just wanted to do it. You don't know anything about this. I didn't even tell you. What is this something else? Yes. Do you know in in 19, 1974 there was quite a famous high street uh, brand that set up, and then in 1979 it was bought by the um, a, a British motoring consortium. So uh, and uh, and. And, it, and sadly, it sort of demise was about two years ago. And myself and a guy called uh, uh, Albert Bartlett, the company Albert Bartlett, we took it over and uh, we've been working for about a year to rebrand what is and what was Spudulike. You, like. you <laughs> are having a laugh. No. I, I own Spudulike. <laughs> you own Spudulike? Yes. <laughs> so I've, I brought in... I've brought in... Hang, hang, hang on, I've got to play a record. I got, I got to, I'm sorry, I've got to play a record. i got to regroup within my own head. He's, Jay's one of my best friends. Okay. How, how has he kept this a secret? What I've else kept it a secret from everybody. Hiding under his bushel. Did it have a code name, like our brand new Sky <laughs> TV? Sky Glass, which is known as Llama, Llama for the last three months. Project Llama. So if ours was Llama, yours was probably Alpaca. Was your, that your code name? Uh, <laughs> Could have been. James Martin owns Spud You Like, and it's coming back to a high street near you soon. Is In that how the you next can... three weeks? Oh yeah. my goodness! <laughs> can you stop it? The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky Virgin Radio. Spring Watch, Autumn Watch, and Winter Watch. Our next guest does an awful lot of watching. His new book, Micro Life: Miracles of the Miniature World, revealed is out later this month. And here to tell us more is nature's gift to broadcasting. It's Chris Packham. Good morning, Christopher. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Um, so, thank heaven we moved to a bigger studio three years ago, so we could fit your book in it. <laughs> my my big book about little life. Yes, it's it's, be- it's beautiful, book. mate. Uh, tell us more about it. Off you go. Well, it is a sumptuous um, book. It, it, I mean, some of the portraits of you know small animals are, are astonishing. I would draw you to immediately to page fifty-one to meet a flea face on. Now, fleas have a terrible reputation, but you've got to admit the statuesque face of the flea is something to behold also on page 193 the the gnarled crusty face of a weevil so this book gives us insight into little things that we can't see terribly well with our our eyes but also it delves far more deeply into micro life because it, it goes into the realms of electron scanning microscope and um, so therefore we're not looking at 
close-ups of insects' heads. We're looking at, at cells and the interior parts of cells. We're looking actually at the structure of COVID-19 as a virus. And, and this book is an opportunity to delve into a world which is there in, right in front of us, living on us and living inside us, sometimes very benignly. Not all of these things are, are bad for us, of course. And it gives us an insight into that world. And the one thing that is striking about it is, is exceptional beauty. Close-ups of insects' eyes, the shape of rotifers, tiny organisms that live in water and the soil. It's just exquisite, absolutely exquisite. It makes you feel like picking up a microscope and delving into what you can find in your armpit, to be quite honest with you. Yeah, no, I agree. I couldn't agree more, to be honest. And, you know, the fascinating thing about it is if we ever doubted that Mother Nature may be too modest for her own good, not too modest for ours, um, it's in these pictures because, you know... All these microorganisms are design classics. If you look at this this massive picture in this gorgeous book of a flea or a bloodsucker, there's so much going on, you know. And and if you if you had any doubt about uh, the genius uh, of nature and the sort of preordained um, uh, uh, order of um, nature's design and what goes on with the universe, this puts pay to any of that. Th- none of this has been by accident. No, it's beautiful. It's it's sculpted by millions of years of evolution. And what the book also does, of course, is explain how it all works. It's not just a collection of glorious photographs of little things, sometimes very tiny microscopic things. It also explains how they how they all come together and and make our world work. We're delving into the leaves here, the substructure of the leaves of plants. Yes, it's exquisitely beautiful, but without them, neither you or I would have had our breakfast this morning and our planet wouldn't be in any way functional and we wouldn't have an atmosphere to breathe. So this book is also about our global ecology and how all of these little invisible things make life work. And that, again, is absolutely fascinating when you go through it. It is. I mean, you know, if one human being had designed um, uh, uh, 1% of anything that's on any of the pages of this book, they would become an instantly renowned artist or, or designer overnight. So, so, for example, this image of, you know, that, um, that accompanies the compound eyes section. For, you know, for, for the Eden Project, see the composition of a compound eye. This hexagonal um, uh, image or this, this, this shape that is repeated again and again and again in nature. Yeah, it, it is. And, and to be quite honest with you, biomimicry is something, Chris, that we use a lot. We do look for nature when we look for structural and other solutions in, in, in our life. You know, uh, quite a lot of our technology, I mean, the one that we cite most often, of course, is Velcro. And Velcro mimics the outer covering of some seed cases. And it has that sticky covering because it wants to stick to the hairy legs of mammals and get moved around the planet. And, and we very often look at nature to at least initiate our design principles and and they and they and they work and they because they've been tried and tested by millions of years of evolution so it gives us a good head start there's no question about that but this also this book gives us a chance to investigate ourselves you know we look at in in here i'm looking on another page now the sensory cells inside our ear well you could never come up with this (laughs) stuff i mean i've often wondered what that was like you know we we try to imagine what we're like inside and and we might have some you know idea of our anatomy at the map scale we know about our lungs and our heart and so on our muscles and so on and so forth but when you look at the sensory cells inside the ear i mean again exquisitely beautiful but perfect and functional Uh, it really is an eye-opener as to you know what's going on just beyond the reach of our eyesight and that's why i think that you know this book is it, it 
we, we've done a, a number of these um, Dorling Kindersley books. They're always magnificent. They are the sort of thing that you can't, you know, you put them on the table, you've just got to pick it straight up again and find another page. It's fascinating. It is beautiful, but it's also extremely revealing. Um, it just teaches us so much simple stuff about ourselves and how we function too. It's, it is. It's, I mean, even the cover with the beautiful photograph of an ant supping a tiny little droplet of water. Oh, gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. Um, Chris, oh, it's a beautiful you. book, mate. If, if mums and dads or aunties and uncles uh, or granddads and grandmas are listening and they want to get a, a kid they love, um, a book that's going to fascinate them. We've all had books like this when we were kids. I can remember three or four that stand out books in my childhood. This is one of them. It is brilliant, mate. Well done. Thank you. It is. It's exquisite. And it, it is. But I mean, I think the only thing is not just for kids. If I'd have had this when I was, you know, a yeah. child, I'd probably burst with excitement. But, you know, when it came through the door the other day and I picked it up and I'd seen the roughs and been working on it for some time, obviously. But when I actually sat down, I just, which just, I couldn't not get to the end. I just had to look at every page, I have to soak it all up. Yeah, no, let's, let's put that out there. A great book like this, Microlife, is not just for Christmas and it's not just for kids. All right, pal, great to talk with you. This is an awesome book, Microlife, Miracles of the Miniature World Revealed in Macro Form uh, with a forward by Chris Packham and put together by his very, very clever pals. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. Thank you so much for listening to this, the podcast of the Virgin Radio Breakfast Show. Don't forget you can subscribe and get it every week from wherever you get your podcast and you will never miss the weekly roundup of all the best bits from our Virgin Radio Breakfast Show with Sky.